Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name is Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer. Hello to you out there in podcast land. I hope you're doing well and dandy. Dandy's not really a word that's used anymore, is it? Anyway, um, I hope you're good. So this week on the podcast, I'm chatting with Tom, who is the bassist of a band called Tailgunner. Tailgunner have kind of just seemingly come out of absolutely nowhere obscurity to do essentially sell out tours across the uk and they're starting to do some shows into europe and watching their rise kind of from the start in a very short space of time is really impressive to watch so this is quite an episode quite a uh, a listen i've got to say so we discuss things like finding the right band members to get started how the band seemingly kind of came from nowhere to being big quite quickly and the unusual way that they recorded the debut album now it's worth saying unfortunately there are a few technical issues in the recording software that i use um capturing tom's end so he gets a little bit crackly at some points um and i've tried to kind of make that the best i could but there's no way getting around the kind of way it was recorded unfortunately so it's not as good as it could be i'm really sorry tom but it was such a good conversation that i just thought you have to listen to it anyway so i'm just going to say on with the interview so today on the podcast i am joined by tom of tailgunner so my first question as always is from an online random question generator and the question this week is quite an interesting one if you inherited or won a million pounds what's the very first thing that you would do with the money i'm trying to find an answer that's not incriminating (laughs) um i think I, i would probably give some money to to like friends and family and stuff that you know that needed it um or could maybe find a better use for it than i could off the top of my head uh, i've been looking at the new fender aerodyne range they've just put out some really nice bases so that springs to mind you know and some and some trainers that aren't falling apart because i've been wearing these on stage now for the last year or so and they are absolutely decimated my trainers last no time at all so i'm with you there i'm with you there i've not actually tried the new aerodynes just to go nerdy for a minute because i'm actually bassist in my somewhat spare time i'd I'd love to try one sometime i was going to say i play a um the bass i have is the 2004 uh japanese aerodyne so from the original run and it's really sad to see that that's now been discontinued but the new range that they've put out are absolutely gorgeous and um there's a white p bass version and i never thought i'd see fender do a p bass aerodyne but yeah it's like a white p bass shape and it's got like a black trim around the edge of the body and stuff it's absolutely beautiful it's it's one of those bases where it's like i would buy it without even playing it you know <laughs> i would just i trust that it's going to be a fantastic a beautiful instrument if nothing else so on to more um i was gonna say more relevant matters i guess talking about basses is relevant but how did you get into music in the first place what was your route into this crazy world um the first time i can remember ever having like enjoyment of music or music making an impression on me was when i was on holiday i was about three years old and someone in my family bought me um I guess it was like ABBA's greatest hits on cassette. Um, and yeah, like even back then being a toddler, I just, I just remembered like really, really obsessing over, I didn't know it was ABBA. I didn't know, you know what it was, but just being obsessed over it. Um, and music didn't really have an impact on me then 
growing up for quite a while like it's to be honest it's not something I really cared about when I was a kid I was more into like football and and things um up until the point where I saw the film School of Rock um it was on you know the last day of term in in year six which is like you know the tradition where the teacher can't be asked to do any work so they just put on a, a film and, and even seeing it then, it didn't really have an impression on me. But what happened was I got the riff to um, Smoke on the Water stuck in my head when they play it in the scene in the film. And I didn't know that it was the riff to Smoke on the Water. You know, I just had the riff stuck in my head. And I got home from school that day singing that riff. And my dad went, oh, why are you singing the riff to Smoke on the Water? He's like, if you like that, check this out. And he sat me down with the Back in Black album. And the moment that Brian starts singing on that record, but I describe it as like the Wizard of Oz moment where my life went from black and white into colour. And I mean, literally from that moment then and there, I'm still the same person now as I as I became when I heard ACDC for the first time. Um, and then that night I heard Guns N' Roses, The Sex Pistols, Iron Maiden, so many great bands for the first time this is like 10 11 years old and i'll never look back that's a great routine i'd I'd be amazed if there weren't loads and loads and loads of people who've found their way into music via the school of rock film surely you're one of many in that regard nice so what what made you go from there to picking up an instrument um i saw billy duffy on the cover of the Sonic Temple album, um, and obviously he's guitar player, but he's he's in this epic pose on the front cover of that album. I just thought that's the coolest thing I've ever seen, you know. Um, so I naturally wanted to be a guitar player, um, and then I met my friend, um, who I'm still friends with to this day in school. Um, we got chatting and basically said I'm putting a band together um we really need a bass player and I said I can't help you because I'm going to be a guitar player and then I thought about it for like half a day and I went ah okay you know what whatever I'll I'll be a bass player because to me the the vehicle was less important than actually being in a band I just really wanted to be in a band so I joined joined a band before I owned a bass and then the first gig we did, I mean, I think I'd literally been playing bass for like two or three days. I couldn't even tune it, but we went to this like local pub. It was like a, a jam night and we did Paranoid and, and Highway to Hell. So I was thrown in at, relatively at the deep end um, straight away. I mean, I've, I've got to say, actually, I, in, in the time I've been doing this podcast, I've never heard anyone reference Sonic Temple album. I think the album is so good, and it somehow flies under the radar for so many people. I don't get it. I really no, it's, it's a great album. Like New York City and like Medicine Train and stuff. It's just killer. Love it. Love it. Um, so, so you're in this band. You've been playing bass for not very long at all. Um, <laughs> how did you get from there to Tail Gunner? <laughs> Over many years. I mean, I stayed in in that band i mean the thing is really from when i joined and getting into rock and roll and heavy metal and stuff um because like i say it, it was straight away acdc and 
Guns, Maiden, and all of those sorts of bands. I was I was never into what was popular in the rock scene at the time, which would have been like the emo stuff, you know. Um, so I was straight away into the same sort of stuff that I am now. And very, very quickly, I mean, really in the space of a month or two, I realised that, okay, this, this is exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life, you know. Um, and got very serious, even being like 12 years old, you know. Um, saw Iron Maiden that summer. They were my first ever show. Um, and seeing them really cemented, like, okay, you know, that's what I'm going to do, you know. And, um, yeah, so I stayed in that band that I was in in school for about five years um, as I grew up, you know, up until about 17. And I was, like I say, I was very serious, very fast. Uh, I think it took the others aback. And we had some lineup changes and that to fire some people. And, you know, um, and then I left that band when I was 17 because we went up to London to record a single. Um, this is at the same studio that a band back in the day called The Howling used. The Howling had The Rev, who was in Towers of London, and The Prodigy on guitar. Um, and growing up, Towers of London were like, you know, I loved their debut album and stuff. So working with him, and, and he came to, to check us out at a show that we had in London um, because they had a showcase for Red Bull Records and they needed an opening band. Um so he heard our single in the studio and he's like, I want to come see you live and maybe we can get you on this thing. And, you know, when you're 17, like that's absolutely massive. And he came to see us and we sucked. Like we sucked so bad, you know, but it was, it was great. Cause it was a real eye opener of like, I'm, I'm really a long way off where I actually want to be. Um, and I kind of realized that the rest of the guys in that band, although they were my friends, they weren't taking it as seriously as I was. And it, it was never going to happen with that, you know? Um, and then I put together another band um, a few years later and, and did something completely, completely different. It was like kind of eighties, post-punk, neuromantic, gothy stuff. Um, just because I think I naively thought at that age that I kind of exhausted everything that I wanted to do in rock music because I, my only experience was with very, very local musicians that weren't taking things seriously. And I thought, you know what, I'll try something totally different. Um, that band did relatively well. Um, we got signed and then dropped and bits and pieces and it all fell apart in the end. But that really, really taught me a lot. Um, and then once I left that band, this is in summer of 2018, I basically said to myself, if I'm going to do this again, if I'm going to go through the effort to start another band, it has to be exactly the band that I've always had in my head since I was a kid, you know? Just and by that, I mean like the ultimate heavy metal band, no apologize, no compromising, just 100% balls to the wall, you know? And I took a couple of years out to learn as much as I could and to find the rest of the band. So how did you find them? Where, where did they appear from? <laughs> <laughs> through through a lot of effort over a long period of time, um, I tried everything. You know, it was Facebook and Instagram and even, you know, the old school stuff of putting posters up in guitar shops and in metal bars and everything really um 
And I mean, Zach, he joined the band because a friend of his had seen um, that I was looking for band members. And his band at the time, their bass player had just quit. So they needed a bass player. And he put us, the two of us in touch. And Zach said to me, do you want to join my band? And I said, no, but do you want to join my band? <laughs> um, and, and he said, no, but... I'll play on a demo for you. I was like, okay, because I I'd written this song, um, which was Guns for Hire, and I said I need to I need to get a demo together at least, even if these people aren't going to join the band, so I can go and show it to people and say this is this is what I want to do, you know. Um, so Zach played on that demo, and then I found Craig, uh, our singer, because his last band. Um, followed me on Instagram and I checked them out. I thought that guy looks really cool. I wonder, wonder who he is. And then click through and he had a YouTube covers channel. Um, so, so I had a look on that and he had a cover of 22 Acacia Avenue by and maiden. And as soon as it kicks into the high part, I, I was like, Oh my God, that's our singer. You know, that guy's our singer. And um, I called my girlfriend and said, oh, I found the singer for the band. And she was like, oh, it says here that he's already in a band. I was like, yeah, don't worry about that. Like, he, he'll be our singer. Um, so I, I got talking. A lot of confidence. Yeah, I got talking to Craig. Well, it's like, I just heard his voice and I was like, I don't care what happens. That guy has to sing for this band, you know. Um, and then same thing again. He was like, I'm too busy with, with my own band, but I'll sing on the demo for you, you know. So I had a demo of guns for hire with the program drums, me on bass, Craig on vocals and Zach on guitar. And then once Craig did the vocals for that, I sent it through to Zach and he went, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'll join your band. This sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> so then we had Zach and then I traveled, I was living in Portsmouth at the time um, on the South coast. And I traveled up to Liverpool where Craig had a show and I turned up at the venue and basically <laughs> made him made him jump a little bit because I was like, hey, man, I'll come to see you. And he's like, you live on the other side of the country. I was like, yeah, I know, right? But like, you know, I just, I think it was at that moment that he realized like how serious I was. Um, and I spoke to him there and I was like, so you, you know, you've got to join this band. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm too busy, man. I'm too busy. I'm like, okay, think about it, you know? Um, and then it took probably another six months or so of kind of speaking to Craig and, and sending him more demos. And I think he realized, like, okay, there's, there's really something going on here, you know? Um, and so he joined the band and, yeah, a couple of lineup changes over the last year or so. And we're the five of us that we are today. Wow. So, so the moral of the story is if you really want someone to join your band, make sure they're on your demo, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, like I've heard before with with people, and it's so true, is that no one is going to care as much about your band as you do, you know. And it's like, and no one, no one's going to believe in you as much as you do. So you have to really, really show people, even if it's that potential band members in the early days, like, look, this this is something really real. And that was the thing, like, with the rest of the guys, and especially with Craig, was like, I know you're busy, but if you join this band, we'll go further than anything any of us have done before, you know? And I think it was, it was really worth it. And I would say 
to people as well that are trying to put something together, the likelihood is the people that you'll end up getting are people that you already are aware of. You just kind of have to play the waiting game sometimes. That's very true. I mean, the other thing that you're not maybe emphasising so much, and I I, I get it, I, I, I kind of know why you talk about it this way, is your like confidence is quite an infectious thing so if you if you if you really want to start a band as it were then having confidence in what you're doing is a really great starting point for kind of drawing people in and going no this is really worth considering yeah exactly exactly i mean you have to believe in yourself otherwise you know no one else will but i think for me it was like I say, just just starting to write the songs that would form the first album and, and showing them to the others and then them really recognising that, okay, like something is happening here and, and I want to be a part of it. Listen, listen, it's really good. It's really good, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Um, so where did the band name come from? My... Um, now my Iron Maiden sense is tingling because I know a lot of Iron Maiden um, I'm not ashamed to say and I know there is a song called Tail Gunner but is that where it comes from or is it somewhere else that you yeah pr- pretty much man pretty much I mean in the the lockdown um, we were desperately looking for a band name and I would literally spend like an hour or two every morning reading these massive hardback copies of the dictionary and thesaurus just scrolling through trying to find a band name whilst listening to records and ended up with a list of about 100 potential names and probably 90% of them were taken and like the other 10 like we couldn't get everyone to agree on and I think that's the thing with a band name is everyone has to believe in it because if you're going to go out there and stand in front of that backdrop or whatever every single night you have to really believe in the name um and basically we were getting towards the end of 2020 um and we had the recording for the debut album coming up and i said to the others like you know what i don't want to go and make the album unless we have a band name so i'm gonna find something over the next like few weeks and i did the cheesy classic thing of looking at song names um i had a you know a huge metal playlist on spotify and tail gunner by iron maiden was in there and it just jumped out at me and i was like do you know what tail gunner i think that's a i think that's a cool name and then i asked a few friends and a few people said what do you think of this name tail gunner and everyone went yeah that do you know what that sounds killer and um i think it's always the way with band names is at first they all they all sound weird all band names are a little bit naff until the band is a thing and then they're cool you know like i've heard about um the famous story that i've heard always is um john paul jones of led zeppelin and he kind of was like i'm in this new band and they were like oh what's it called he said led zeppelin he was like they were like, that's a that's a really terrible name. So, which, objectively, when you think about it, it's a weird name. So it's just the way these things go, isn't it? That's the thing with most band names. I mean, it's like the Beatles. That's a, that's a rubbish name. You know, with the, with the beat pun and everything. And most most band names are, are a little bit crap, but they're not because they're exactly. that band, you exactly know. So. Nice. I mean, I've got to say, that's another relatively lesser-known song that you brought up there in tail gunner it's a good song i love tail gunner but it's not the most well-known song which is you know part of the reason why it's good for a band name i guess but yeah i, I mean that's that's it there's two sides of it whereas you can't call a band run to the hills or then something you're an Iron Maiden tribute. um but also 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, unless you're an Iron Maiden tribute. And the other side of it is that people that do know that song goes, "Oh, that's you know that is cool points." It's very true. Very true. So, what was your first gig like as a band in 2021? I'm gonna say uh, 2022. So we we spent a couple of years getting everything ready. We recorded the whole album and shot all the videos and all the rest of it. Um, the first gig was great. I mean, we took the gamble and booked a small tour before the band launched um, and just would, yeah, just gambled on the fact that the first couple of singles would be really popular. And luckily for us, you know, we put out Guns For Hire and it exploded straight away. Um, so we did five shows. We played Nottingham, Reading, Liverpool, London and Portsmouth. Um, this is like about... 10 weeks after the band first went public and everything. Um, and then two of those shows, Liverpool and London both sold out, which was, you know, absolutely ridiculous for, for being that new. Um, the first show was in Nottingham. Um, and that was, that was a killer show. I mean, I look back now, I was actually watching bits of it the other day and like, I think we, we seem so amateurish, but all of the pieces were already there. You know, we already, we already dressed the way that we do and we already played like insanely fast and all the rest of it. So yeah, it was, it was a killer show to be fair. And like I say, being on tour straight away and we, we were never a local band. Um, so that's very different to anything any of us had done before. For sure. I mean, for, from my perspective, um, I mean, 2022 is a bit of a weird year for me cause I became a dad. Um, but, um, it felt to me like I, you know, because I'm I've been in and around the UK music scene for a while, um, but it felt like you kind of came out of nowhere, and then suddenly everyone knew who you were. That's kind of what it felt like, and I was very curious about how that happened. <laughs> basically, I mean, yeah, it's kind of the way it went. Um, it's honestly, it's because I spent that couple of years to learn about the music industry and about how this stuff works. And I'm still learning all the time, you know, um, but also because we had everything ready. It wasn't a case of let's launch the band and then do the stuff. It was let's launch the band. You know, it was new year's day, 2022 Facebook and Instagram and everything went public. And then the 4th of Jan that year, Guns for Hire came out and then the 5th of Jan we announced the tour and then a few weeks after that we had the second single and, and so on and when you do that sort of thing it's very very easy to attract attention of fans and of the industry because everyone has that feeling of like oh my god where have these guys come That's from clever. I like that yeah no, I've, I've never come across a band who've done it that way and it's really worked for you, you know, it clearly has. So that's really cool. I really like that, I've got to say. Um, kind of on the uh, opposite scale, have you had any, like, nightmare experience gigs where everything's gone wrong? Luckily, we've not, we've not had anything that's, like, absolutely horrible, you know. Um, to be honest, not, not really. Um, I think the, the worst thing that we had was when we were in Germany last year, um, we did a little a little tour, we played three shows, and then we played a festival the next day, big festival. And 
we played in Filderstadt on the Friday night and in Germany they they go till a little later so we we're on stage until like just gone midnight um and then you spend you know an hour an hour and a half meeting all of the fans and selling merch and signing things and and hanging out and stuff so that takes you until about half one in the morning and then you've had a few drinks and stuff so that affects the the loadout speed so then you, you get everything loaded out and it's about half two you get back to the hotel at three fall asleep by half three we had to get up at six and we were yeah and we were on stage about two or three hours away at midday or 12 on the dot um so we were playing that show on like two hours sleep um in front of two thousand people and we didn't have any backup guitars on that tour and zach's string broke um just before the guitar battle part of the set so he had to run backstage and do the fastest guitar string change in the history of mankind um whilst ria this is like her fourth show with us as a member of the band had to improvise a solo for however long a couple of minutes in front of two thousand people on two hours sleep <laughs> so that was that was probably the the most uh, seat of our pants moment that we've had you know that could have all gone wrong very quickly yeah, i mean that does sound a bit mad but you know these things happen <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's funny it's like you know we're we're out in europe um next month opening for udo and we got that because his manager saw us play at Keep It True. And when I, when I emailed, he was like, yeah, like we can give you this support slot. Cause I saw you at the festival and I thought you guys are great. And like, in my mind, I'm like, really? <laughs> like we, you know, we look back on that, that gig and we were like, you know, we, we were still good, but it wasn't for us in our minds. It probably wasn't like the best show, you know, just because we were so exhausted. I mean, it is true to say that when it comes to, Certainly when it comes to kind of creative outputs, you're your own worst critic. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There is always that. So moving over the kind of subjects a little bit, how how do you guys write songs as a band? Do you, do you kind of come with ideas or do you jam it together? How does that kind of thing come about? So, I mean, it's constantly changing because on the first record, um, when I started the band, it was never my plan to be a songwriter because I'd never done it before. And I was always intending to find someone that could be like the main songwriter for Tailgunner. Um, I'm very glad that it didn't work out that way. Basically, I thought, okay, I need to write something so I can show to people this is the sort of band that I want to do. And the first song that I ever wrote, the first proper song I ever wrote was Shadows of War. That's why it's the opener for the album. And why I love Guns For Hire so much because that was the second song that I wrote and that was the one where I thought, okay, I can really do this. You know, the first one wasn't a fluke. I can actually seem to write songs. And so the first album, a lot of it was written before anyone else joined the band. Um, and then the pandemic happened. So I was kind of forced to, to do a lot of it by myself. Um and then for this album, it's a lot more collaborative. Um, I'm still, definitely, I'm still the primary songwriter, but the opportunity is there now to write 
with Craig and with Zach especially, um, the three of us have, have formed a really solid writing team and it's it's bringing a whole new dynamic to the second record, which I'm very, very excited about. So, I mean, in terms of the writing, it's, it's normally I'll have the idea that sparks everything off. Um, sometimes I'll write completely by myself. Sometimes I'll bounce ideas off the other guys. And it's, it's very, very exciting because... You know, we may be on our second album, but in terms of co-writing, it's like a brand new thing to us. So it opens up so many possibilities. Is I haven't really got a non-clunky way of saying this, but it's almost like your your first album as a band, if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's true. Like the first record is is certainly not like a solo album, and I, I wouldn't call it that. But in terms of the way it was written, it kind of is like that. You know. This is this is the first album as as a band. You're right. That's exciting. Can't wait to hear it. <laughs> so, um, thinking about kind of your first album and things like that, how did you approach um, recording that? Did you record it yourselves? Go into the studio? What was your approach to that kind of side of things? We found um, down on the south coast in Bournemouth. There's a an old Victorian chapel. Um, which was on Airbnb, which you can rent. So we, because we had no money, you know, this is like before the record deal or anything like that. Um, so we had to find a way to do it cheap. And we had to learn our way around the law as well, because this is January 2021. So it's right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and yeah, basically we moved ourselves, like our beds and everything and all of the equipment into this old chapel for a couple of weeks. Um, and did it that way, which was amazing. Like, it's the dead of winter and, you know, on the south coast and, you know, God knows what people must have thought when they saw us lot turning up to this building with these martial cabs and <laughs> all the rest of it. But it was great. Like, we, we made the altar into, like, what the control room, I guess you could call it. And Craig's vocal booth was, like, makeshift out of old throws and cushions and anything that was lying around that could dampen the, the sound and held up by tent pegs and, and things. And we'd record, you know, up to three or four at night and all candle it and everything. So it's very atmospheric. It was really, really cool. And the whole thing was surrounded by a graveyard as well. So if you go out for a smoke in between takes or whatever, it was definitely like a very metal vibe. <laughs> Do you think that the, the atmosphere helped with the, the feel of the record as well? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think just like staying there as well and sleeping in and amongst the gear and like the whole, the whole way it was of like, if someone's busy tracking their parts, then someone else would be like cooking for them and like cooking for everyone else. And we'd all sort of like help each other out. Um, so it's just a really, really cool like atmosphere to the whole thing. You know, I think it's a good, what you, what you did there was kind of a good um, midway, I guess, between the studio and, doing it at home because obviously you've got the the cost kind of element to it as well but you've also got that um that not being at home not being in that kind of familiar environment is probably going to help you ultimately i'm gonna have to go back and listen to that record in a new light now now i know how you did it so what would you say has been the biggest success of the band so far that might be a difficult question it could be one particular moment one particular thing whatever it may be yeah i mean there's there's a few really. I mean, I think the fact that we got signed so quickly 
was really cool. Uh, and as well, like the reason that I formed this band is because I went and saw Halloween's Pumpkins United tour. I, I became absolutely obsessed with Halloween in like late 2017. Um, and to put tail gunner out into the world and within six months be on the same label as Halloween. The reason that I even formed the band in the first place, I think is that's massive for me, you know, I'm very, very surreal. Um, so that's really cool. I think something else that, you know, we look back on a lot is being handpicked by KK Downing to open the first KK <laughs> show. Um, what an icon he is. Um, so certainly meeting, meeting him and getting to open that show and getting the advice for him. And, and he still stays in touch and things, you know, on, on social media and, and everything, which is pretty cool to, to have that sort of backing behind us. Um, and there's, you know, stuff that we're really looking forward to, like going out to Europe. We've got a couple of European tours this spring, like I mentioned with UDO and, and Riot. And then we'll be at Stone Dead and Bloodstock and a lot of big festivals and, you know, we've still only been going, what, three years as a band. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to be fair. And we're obviously very happy at how it's going, but not so happy that we aren't going to continue to work even harder. You know, let's see how far we can take it. Totally. Be interested to see how far you go, <laughs> to be honest. Um, how do you guys go about kind of managing the activities of the band is the one person who's like the boss or do you share out tasks how does that kind of thing work yeah i'm, I'm the boss <laughs> you are you are the man i'm the boss yeah I'm, I'm the guy that's you know the slave driver <laughs> with everyone else um yeah every, everyone works very very hard um but i think it's certainly not a bad thing to have someone in charge in a band. And if you look at a lot of great bands, you know, ACDC was always Malcolm's band. Guns N' Roses is Axel. Iron Maiden is Steve. You know, I think you, you have to have someone in the driver's seat. How do you guys manage band finances? Um, how does, what, is, what do you, what is your approach to that side of things? Um, we have a band account. Um, and the way that we do it is, so the first year it was, we had to pay to do the band, you know? Um, and then the second year we broke even and it was covering like touring costs basically. So no one, no one had to pay out their own pocket to do photo shoots or stay in a hotel or get a plane here or whatever, you know, we didn't have to pay to do the band. Um, and then this year is like the same principle. There's no one's paying to do the band. And now we're at a point where when we're on tour, we cover like people's lost income and things. Cause if, you know, Craig is self-employed, he's a session musician. When he's on tour, he can't, he can't record. He can't do that work. So as well as covering the touring costs, we'll then say, okay, you know, what's your bills for this month? And then, same same for a few of us you know basically we're all in different places in life and different places with jobs some of us are doing music for a living some of us aren't and you know it's about making sure that the band is sustainable financially for everyone and if we're going to go out on the road for a month people still have you know rents and mortgages and things to pay um so that's the way we do that we don't take any money out in terms of 
paying ourselves you know no one no one has a wage from it because ultimately we that's not something that we want to do just yet we would like to keep growing and keep investing things back into the band so the production can get better we can you know buy new instruments and stage props and all the rest of it up until the point where we have something you know completely mind-blowing and where we want to be and then i think if we do that for a few albums then hopefully we'll arrive at a point where we can go okay now we can look into what can we do it must be amazing to have it pay for itself because you know there's so many musicians that that is an absolute pipe dream yeah we're, we're very fortunate you know um we work very hard to to get to that point but i mean as much as you work very very hard on writing music i mean thank god people like what we do <laughs> yeah if people didn't like it you wouldn't get very far so. no you wouldn't no but that's that's always the the thing as well it's you know you could put something out and even if you're absolutely convinced it's the best thing you've ever done there's no guarantee that people will buy it then there never is so yeah i think obviously we're still a very new band and we are still a, a relatively small band and still it just totally blows my mind every time you know someone buys a t-shirt and they're in australia or japan or la or whatever it's like because it's like someone was speaking to me at, um the last night of the uk tour that we did in october and they were saying like they've they've known about the band since the first single and, and watched it grow and watched it happen and they said it must be so surreal for you guys and it's like i said to them you know before tail gunner we've all been in local bands where you can pull a handful of people in your hometown and if you play an hour down the road no one comes you know we, we've all been there and done that for years on end and for this to be so different is even for us like in the eye of the storm it's still completely mind-blowing you know so we never take it for granted um on a i guess on a completely different note what are your goals for the band in the next six months to a year or so right now we want to take the first album to as many people as possible to as many countries as possible i mean thankfully for us with the the distribution and being on a big label and everything the album is sold all around the world and we want to go and play to all those people you know and it's it's a bit tricky because it's growing so fast and when you have people saying oh you know when are you going to come and play in america or australia or whatever and it's like, well, hang on man you know we've been going a couple of years most most bands are still pretty local at this point and so trying to keep up with the demand is quite difficult but certainly whilst the second album is it's like 80 90 percent of the way there now it's really come together i'm in no rush to put it out because i feel like there's still so much that we can achieve off the back of guns for hire so i mean the shows that we've got in the uk this year are our biggest yet i mean we're going to be at the underworld in london which i'm absolutely buzzing for i can't wait for that i need to get a ticket yeah man get, grab a ticket because that's actually our, our fastest selling show to date as well um so that's yeah i think it's gonna it's gonna be a sold out show um and just yeah like if we sell that out then the next step up from that would be electric ballroom, you know? 
So let's see let's see how far we can push it on album one. It's a good plan. It's a good plan. Yeah, and I definitely need to get a ticket whilst I still can. Because <laughs> I got a ticket for I got a ticket for your last tour and then I was ill. Yeah, I know, so I know. Go. I was absolutely gutted. Yeah, that absolutely gutted. That Blackheart show was fantastic, I must say. Yeah, it's a good venue, Blackheart. When that was on on sale, I remember saying to my my girlfriend, you know, I, I want to do the underworld next. And at that point, I think we'd only sold a handful of tickets for the Blackheart. And she was like, you know, you have to sell out the Blackheart before you can do the underworld. And it's like, yeah, you're right. And then as soon as we sold out the Blackheart, it was like, okay. Underworld's next. <laughs> next, next goal. Fair enough. <laughs> um, my penultimate question for you: What is your? This might be a hard question for you. What is your best piece of advice for bands nowadays? Uh, be really, really honest with yourself, and don't compromise for anything, in- including yourself. Um, what I mean by that is, you have to have a very, very good objective view of what you're doing it's it's a lot easier to be into your own music when you're the one creating it and that that's not to say that you should put yourself down or anything like that but you have to be very very honest with yourself and think if you heard your band out of nowhere would you really go crazy for it and if you wouldn't that's fine but write some more songs you know and just be really really brutal um, and it's, it's tough, you know, but that's, that's the culture that we've developed within tail gunner is now like any little detail that is not a hundred percent will bring it up with one another. And that's not, everyone knows it's not a personal thing and no one's having a go or whatever, but if you want to really do this and, and take it to a high level, there's no room for anything like that. You know, you just have to be totally brutal with yourself because that's how these bands that we all know and love and that are absolutely massive got to be massive by, by not half arsing it basically. Um, so that's what I mean. And, and when I say don't compromise, it really ties into that of like, if you think that, I don't know, that song that you wrote is not quite good enough or, that baseline that you wrote is it does, but it's not like, like you could do better Then then do better. You know, you, there's no rush to do this. Just don't compromise your art until, you know, it's absolutely where it needs to be. I like it. Good. Good. I was going to say rules for life. Good rules for music. Maybe for life too. Use your whole ass. <laughs> I mean, and the, the other the other side of that, yeah, you sure hold off. That's good. I like that. And the other side of that is like before we launched Tailgunner, I um, actually had like an A and R consultation with. There's one guy that is part of a big PR company in music, um, and another guy who I, I won't I won't name, but he was on the first record that I ever bought. Um, and had a number one album in a in a rock band and things um, in the late 80s or early 90s or whatever, you know, successful, successful guys. Um, I had a chat with them and they said to me, this is, you know, I've sent them the demos for the, the first album and everything. And they said, this band is not as good as you think it is and it will not achieve the things that you, you think it might. And... 
what I would say to that with other people is if you really, really believe 100% with all your heart in what you're doing, don't listen to people like that. Just go for it. If you really believe in what you're doing, then don't let anyone stop you, you know, because we've gone and proved those people wrong. Boom. <laughs> Boom. So to close out the podcast, I'd like to ask you for your favourite song from the band um, that's been released so far to play at the end of the podcast. So which song have you picked and why? It's got to be Guns for Hire because it's our calling card as a band. I wrote it um, in the spirit of Rock and Roll Outlaw by Rose Tattoo. You know how that song is it just sums up everything that band is about that's what i wanted for tail gunner and guns for hire sums up everything we're about you know um like it says in in the song we'll stand with our backs to the wall take on the world with heavy metal and uh and it's a banger (laughs) (laughs) can't ask more than that cool so this is tail gunner with guns for hire tom it's been really great to chat with you thanks for having me on dude 